My name is Bonnie Landry. I'd like to welcome you to my podcast with my co-hosts, Elizabeth and Christina, where we explore the questions about homeschooling and family life and how we can make joy normal. Welcome back, Crystal. I'm so glad to have you here to do part two because I just felt like we left ourselves and our listeners hanging. (laughs) Well, I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for having me again. And we have so much to talk about. Yeah. Love it. So what I was hoping to do, we had covered language and math. Mm -hmm. And of course, a classical organic approach, because I I don't know how else to call this, (laughs) but a classical sort of organic approach, which was why we connected. That was really Mm -hmm. the the, um, way that we connected was you saw the classical in what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And we're able to sort of bring that to the forefront is that even though I'm not using those words, that really is what I'm doing. You put names to things that, that I wasn't putting names to, which was, was fantastic. That those two things are not mutually exclusive. Like I think most people would look at natural or organic kind of learning and classical and think, no, no, polar opposites. And they're not, they're not at all. So subject areas, really, there's a lot of crossover. And when we start breaking it down to subject areas, Mm -hmm. it's so important to bring into the discussion. So already in our discussion of language and math, we were talking about, you know, history and language and all kinds of things, uh, science that are the other subject areas, but there's so much crossover because we're looking at the whole person. We're looking at the whole of education. We are breaking it down, but we would both probably encourage our listeners to to not break down as much as possible mm-hmm. to connect all the connection points. Because even the way that we approach, both of us approach language, it's it's the scientific method when you approach language. And so, you know, recognize what you're doing and how you're, and how you're doing it. So, so what I'd like to kind of cover is science, social studies, which is essentially culture, history, geography, a second language, fine arts, those kinds of things. Where are you accomplishing those things? Where am I accomplishing those things in in the big picture, right, of this? So, so do you have a particular subject you'd like to start with? Well, let's start with history. I think that's kind sure. of a good, uh, good springboard because... Um, it is true that in classical education, history is um, very central to the subjects. And so the reason why that is, is because of the fact that um, we like to study where humanity has been and where, and so that we can make better decisions about where humanity is going, namely ourselves, right? We don't have a huge influence over, um, you know, big areas of our society, but we have huge influences over ourselves and um, those within our immediate, um, our immediate circle, right? And so when we can start to look at how civilization, how civilizations has, have risen and fallen, how individual leaders have risen and fallen, different things like this, then we can actually, what we're looking towards really is virtue. We're looking to see where was the virtue in that or the lack thereof virtue and, and to be able to start to pattern our own lives about that. Uh, I think sometimes in our culture right now, in this time, we have a lot of pride in our intellectual um, understanding and our intellectual um breadth that we have um as uh, as a as you know human beings within on our in our globe on our globe and as well within our western culture there's i don't see a lot of humility and so oftentimes i see people kind of disregarding things that have been said in the past or glossing over well no that's not the newest study that's not the newest uh you know uh idea out there Well, it's true, you know, when we study history, those aren't the newest ideas, Um, but they do have value and they do have something to offer us. And so it is an exercise in humility, I think, as well. And one of the great things about, like when you were talking about 
you know, you always approached it organically and you never quite connected that you were doing classical. I think if we can look through the lens that classical education really wants to flourish the human being based upon or really rooted in that piety. And piety is the the love, duty, and respect that's owed to God and others and yourself. And that's what you were doing, right? You were really wanting to form the characters of your children, right? Their individual virtues and um, the habits that they, they came to live by. And so I think if we get focused on the subjects, right, and we compartmentalize them and try and uh, put barriers between them, then essentially what we're doing is we're undermining really the the purpose of classical education. So it's true. We really want these subjects to interweave with each other. I kind of like Mm -hmm. to think it as um, paths that we travel and these paths converge, right? They all come together. When you start one, it doesn't mean that you're, you're done when you get to a certain point. That path is going to continue till the end of your life. Or you can think of it like a, t- a tapestry where you start to weave one, one um, piece of yarn, and then you start to weave another one. And they, they come together mm. to form a beautiful image. And that's really what we're, we're hoping that we can um, start to live our life by that these are not just, okay, check mark, let's get that done. Checkbox, let's get that done, right? Okay, boom, 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 on to the next thing. Even when we're doing skills, we can always, always, always improve the skills that we're doing, whether it be in language arts or history or uh, understanding geography better. I, I really want to encourage people to look through the lens of classical education that we're trying to make connections and we're trying to build a life, <laughs> right? We're really trying to live a life of classical education. So in history, what I really love to use. So um, I came upon this, my oldest were probably in about grade three and four, I think, when I came upon this history program, it's called RC History, Connect with History. And so it's Roman Catholic history. And what I loved about it was it was around the kitchen table history. So the the lady that um, created the curriculum really wanted the opportunity for homeschool families to all study the same thing so that you're not sending one kid off doing this and another kid off doing that because she saw the value in the intergenerational uh, conversations that could take place around history. And so what her program does is she has ancient history, early Christian history, uh, medieval history, modern history, and American history. And so what she does is she sets out a syllabus or like a framework for you to work from um, on a timeline. And she gives you the, the beginner stage, grammar, I don't really like using these as stages, but the beginner stage, grammar stage, logic stage, and rhetoric stage. And they're more aligned to ages than actual stages. <laughs> and so you can have like a beginner stage, grammar stage is like four, five, six, logic stage is seven, eight, nine, and then high school is rhetoric. And what she does is in each um, chapter of, of her syllabus, she'll lay out the certain time period with a theme and books that you can read. She has a spine and then she also has um, historical fiction and nonfiction books, and it's all through a Catholic lens. So it's with the lens of salvation history. And so this was really powerful for me because I, all the different um, history programs I used prior to that, never really looked at history through the lens of salvation history. And this is one thing that was really important to me that um, 
as Christians, we believe the most pivotal moment in history is the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And that impacts history. In order to look mm-hmm. at history, uh, we need to be able to, par- um, to to run those alongside each other. That's one of the things I really loved about that. And it's really easy to use in home. It's really easy to use in a co-op. I found that a lot of times people get very overwhelmed by it because it looks like a lot. But um, but when, because I've worked it for a number of years, when you realize you don't have to do everything right. she says, because she gives you a treasure box of references and resources to use. And when you realize you don't have to use them all, you just have to pick like one or two. And how she works through it is she says, there is this um, kind of like this introductory mm-hmm. phrase, a phase where you start to just ask questions about what they know about this time period. So you're during early Christians, right? And you start to ask questions about, well, what do you know about what happened after Christ died and rose from the dead? What do you, you know, what are some things that you can tell me? And it really starts off in this getting the children to understand where they are at um, in their knowledge. So as you know, where our approach to history is very similar. We're not using a program, but I use, you know, we pick a time period. I pick historical fiction from that time period and we sit around the table, we read together, and then we research what we read. We discuss it. This is where all the questions that I mentioned in the last episode really come into play. And they deal with like, some of the questions are just about uh, like at the grammatical stage, when we're, we're talking with children, we're talking about, what they wore and what they ate and what their world was like at the time. We talk about the very sort of pragmatic um, aspects of culture. Then we start to to talk about the ideas that, you know, how people thought, what they were, what kind of conflicts they were dealing with, what kind of family situations might come up. And as they get older, of course, they're going to start expounding on those ideas and putting the ideas together. The series of questions that I have on that PDF are all, like some of them are geared at young children, some of them are geared at older children. The benefit when you have a big family is that as you're sitting around the table, your younger children are hearing those higher level questions. You would not believe how much they're picking up. (laughs) Just, it's it's a really cool formation. They don't have to pick it up. It's not necessary, but they do. And so essentially that's what I, we read a book and talk about it and then, you know, look things up uh, about it. That's essentially what we do when we're learning. You bring up a really great point that I think needs to be said over and over and over again is with the curriculum, you know, pick what you want because we can never let curriculum be the master. We always, that's stressful and and unnecessary. And that's what makes homeschooling often be the thing that we, you know, weighs us down and we can't continue on with a particular curriculum or we can't continue on even homeschooling sometimes because we feel weighed down by, by what's out there. That's a beautiful thing to be able to just let go of what what the person has outlined in the curriculum and we choose what works for our family or even their interest level. You know, you're going to cycle through more than one time on medieval history, say, or Canadian history. You're going to cycle through it again. If you miss something, it's okay, right? You're going to do it again. It's going to crop up again. Some people can be really overwhelmed by RC history because what she does is she gives you like a treasure chest of uh, references and resources. And oftentimes we think we need to do them all, but mm-hmm. we don't. We just pick what works Absolutely. for us and we go on from there. And and you do lots of reading and whatever interests the kids. Then they do a project, whether it's an oral or a written project, or they do um, a presentation of some sort. And then um, and then they get an opportunity to present that. And no, it's going it, deeper. It's really yeah. a great way 
to do history because yeah. it becomes alive and you can talk about it around the kitchen table. So I really love doing history and they include geography and um, different things like that. There is a religious component as mm -hmm. well in it. So. And you're going to, yeah, and you're going to miss something anyways, right? Because even those who go into university and they do their master's or their PhD in, in medieval history, right? They've missed things <laughs> from when they learned it when they were in. I would even encourage parents to take a big note and tape it on the front of whatever their curriculum is or their box of curriculum or whatever and say, pick and choose <laughs> so that we remember every time we crack it open yes. that we, we are the master and we get to choose. This is a resource that is broadening our toolbox and that is all. It's not the be all and end all of an ideal education because if you can't be loving while you're using that curriculum, it's not a good curriculum, right? It's not working for you. So if you can scale down and just pick and choose from it, and that allows you to be loving with your family, then you have something you can really work with, right? So it's tools, they're tools. And we really have to think clearly of them in that way, right? Yeah. And in some ways, I think as moms, we, um, we do ourselves a disservice when we think that the curriculum is going to provide yeah. us with everything we need to succeed. Right. And so, um, understanding and really truly believing that God has equipped you, right. And he has equipped you to, um, from all of your experience and all the skills that you've, you've had up until this point in your life, he has equipped you. And I think for someone like mm -hmm. myself, who's quite creative and someone like yourself, who's quite creative, we have no yeah. problem pulling apart and pulling back together. But I have met moms who really struggle with that. And so I think that there's an opportunity out there as well, maybe, um, to do a workshop or I'll do a YouTube video or something on how do we mm -hmm. just use it as a resource yeah. and not as a master right um, and and how do we how do we let go because uh, I understand and I, I do empathize with you moms out there that have a hard time pulling these things out because that might not be your strong suit that creativity so mm -hmm. um, so I want to help you with that too so Something I think bears in mind when we're talking about sort of social studies, history, or first of all, uh, we always are contrasting and comparing. And that's really important because social studies is also about our present culture. And so we don't have to turn, pull that out as a separate subject we deal with some year. We just constantly are comparing and contrasting the life that we live now. Uh, and that allows for them to, to understand this, this, uh, social studies that we're learning. I want to tell you about a, a resource. Oh, the other thing too, is that I found that one of the vital, vitally important things 
to the study and the understanding of history and culture is always having a timeline up that's just part of not just when you're studying history, but that you have a constant timeline in your home. We use the time yeah. chart of world history, which is a massive 22 foot long timeline, but it's fantastic. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it's always up. So you got to have a big wall to put it on. <laughs> but you can also use it as a yeah. book. But if it's actually there visually all the time, that's really helpful. But if you can't, if you can't have room for something like that, having a smaller mm-hmm. timeline that you either make yourself or procure from somewhere, a world history timeline that just gives you an idea of the, mm-hmm. how history flows and the streams, right? So we have the Western civilization stream and we have mm-hmm. the Asian stream and mm-hmm. we have the different, con- basically the different continents, the streams by which history is marked. That's super important for us. And also maps and globes. And your children will learn geography like breathing just because you mm-hmm. have maps and globes and you're pointing to the places that you're talking about. So really important mm-hmm. part of, of uh, the structure of your home, the tools that you use. One of the resources I want to talk about yeah. for just a moment is a young couple from here. He's a lawyer. She's a school teacher. She actually works as a, she's also a homeschool mom or homeschooling, will be homeschooling in the future, but she works as a homeschool uh, contact teacher. They have started a program called Veritas. It is a, a current events program. So this is an important part, especially as we get into the middle grades, older grades, that we look at current, current events from a Christian perspective okay. So they filter through what are appropriate okay. resources for this. They filter it into a, you know, events like this is, you know, let's talk about this particular event, like say make COVID, what might be one of them. What is going on here? What is the research? What is the, what, what actually happened? What was the event? Or maybe the, you know, wars in the Middle East or whatever. Different events and you get a new event. I can't remember that what's once a week or every couple of weeks or something. I can't remember. I'm going to interview them again shortly. I have an interview from them from about a year ago. They also include like, you know, words you might not know, questions you might ask, projects you might do. So this is also a really important part of of what we would call social studies is contemporary events that are going on and how we can look at them, what resources we know are valuable, uh, especially in this day and age when news is comes through Facebook and other social media. And we're just being bombarded by the consensus of the masses. Really? We have to look at that happened way back when too, there was, there was consensus. We're reading this book right now called the Ides of March by Thornton Wilder on, it was on, um, the life of Caesar and it's done to it's an epistolary novel on uh, it's written by letters. He's talking about uh, letters that were being, being uh, scattered all through Rome about how we have to take Caesar down. Mm-hmm. Right. And of course, eventually they did, but, but, you know, this was yeah. something that, you know, could have happened back in the day, right. Or, or um, other forms of propaganda. And we have to be so careful with, with what's true. How do we know it's true? How do we, how do we determine what are false arguments? You know, those, those are important parts. So that really becomes a study in logic, right? <laughs> it's important to, to start offering up those questions now. Like, okay, where do we, where yeah. are these sources from? So anyway, Veritas is just a great source. So I think that it's something that people should just be alerted to that it's out there and, and they're doing a really good job of, of, current events. No, thank you very much, Bonnie, because I think that that's one of the apprehensions that we have as well is, uh, you know, I don't have the time or the energy to go to CPAC and watch everything that's going in the House of Commons, right? Like I need good quality information um, that isn't 
based on commentary, right? Yeah. And I think that's part of the problem is when it's based on commentary, then then we get all sorts of agendas and narratives and opinions and biases in it instead of just the and facts. how do we sort? Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. yeah. So, and then, yeah, you know... Yeah, so an excellent resource, mm-hmm, yeah. And really trying to understand, you know, can we tell the difference between education and propaganda? Like, can we do that? Mm-hmm. Is, yeah. that, is, that, is that readily easy for us, you know? So, yeah, absolutely. So... And it does give pause to just consider the value of studying logic as your kids get older, studying philosophy, you know, studying those sort of higher uh, thinking skills so that kids are more prepared to actually address these kinds of things. How do I sort out what's true and what's not true? How do I sort out what's right and not right? Mm-hmm. Those are very basic questions, but yeah. we need to form them in that way. They are. Should we uh, chat about science for a moment and and determine what we do for sciences? Yeah, for sure. Okay, so um, again, up until junior high, science for us is very natural, very based in natural science. And again, I don't like to um, dissect or compartmentalize the different parts of science, I think they're all connected. So instead of doing like um, the first year that we homeschooled, we followed the Alberta curriculum and uh, they had units on science and, and they all seemed very disconnected, right? Like one was on magnets and then one was on plants and like, it was just, it felt like it was all over the place. And I just felt like I'm just picking at things. And and so I never stayed with that. And what I did end up settling upon was a program called elemental science. I really like it because again, it's, uh, it's based in encyclopedias. And what I like about it, I'm not as, um, organized as Bonnie. So I do like to have a, a, a skeleton to go by. Um, I like the idea of going to the primary sources. And so this is what this program does for me is it lays out, okay, we're going to do um, like earth sciences. And so they look at the, you know, they look at the globe and they look at how the earth is put together and they look at, you know, rocks and all of the things around earth science. And she sets them out in units and you're, she gives you experiments you can do if you want. We're not, I shouldn't say this. I'm not a big experiment person. <laughs> My kids love them, <laughs> but I'm not really great at them. You can do them or not. And so what I like about elemental science is she sets out the spines and so the encyclopedias. And then she also gives you uh, fiction books that you can read about them, um, about the topic. And she gives you other nonfiction books outside of the encyclopedias that you can do. And she just sets it out in a very... Um, a very easy to follow pattern. And I like that because I'm, like I said, I'm not as well organized as you. That's right. My history <laughs> program is basically what you do, but it's yeah. laid out for me. It's got me. a guideline. Yeah. yeah. It's got a guideline. Cause I just don't, I, I just don't have that, that capability that you have, <laughs> that gift that you have in that. Well, interestingly, yeah, it's not a, it's, I don't think it's an organized um, thing. I just have such a visceral reaction to top down learning (laughs) that I want it to be, you know, come from, come from my kids primarily, you know, we kick around ideas and, and then we roll with an idea. I just have such a strong response to that. Often said like curriculum is not a bad thing, right? I mean, there is bad curriculum. I'll I'll admit that, but curriculum in and of itself, somebody's goal of curriculum (laughs) is to provide you with a good education. That's their goal or hope that should be their goal. 
And there's some good and beautiful work that people have done. Yeah. Big thing is yeah. not letting it own you. And so that's, you know, just really important. And I think that that's, you know, obvious in your life that you have not done that and allowed it to be a tool in your toolbox, right? I will often turn to different books and whatnot. So one of the things I would do with science or social studies was I would look up the article in the encyclopedia and I would actually photocopy the outline and then as we studied different aspects of it, I didn't mean I had to accomplish everything that was in the outline of the article. Like, say, Canadian history, there's a big, long outline for what they cover in Canadian history. I don't have to cover everything. But that way I can have it in my book and I can just check things off as we've addressed them. That was really helpful to me to think, okay, or I could get the story of Canada or I could get a book on chemistry and I could make sure that even though we're following this rough outline, I'm all I'm doing is just checking the things as we discuss them as opposed to necessarily following the format. Yeah. And I think that in most things, maybe math aside, there isn't really um, a necessary set exactly. pattern to yeah. learn things, right? Like you, it's very difficult to learn multiplication if you don't know addition because multiplication is repeated yes. addition. And eventually when you get into higher science, it's the same idea, but definitely in, you know, elementary science. And I love what you say, like you photocopy, you take the outline and you go through there and any good curriculum, any good book is going to give you a bibliography at the back that tells you where they got their information from mm -hmm. and where you can go to look a little bit further. And I think that that's Usually what I do when I'm looking, yeah. kind of starting to look at new curriculum, if something catches my eye, I'll flip to the back and go, hmm, did they tell me where they're getting some of this stuff from? Because, <laughs> right, because I don't want just to have to pay for the next level of book or whatever, right? I want to know where they're going with this. And so that I can say, oh, if, you know, yeah. I, I like this kind of idea, this program, but I don't want the program, but I'll use some of the resources that they gained some of their knowledge from. And as, as homeschool moms, I think that's yeah. a, a good skill to get into the habit of, is looking for those resources. With Elemental Science, she also has another program mm -hmm. called Sassafras Science. That's what we're using this year. And it's a, it's a fiction book. It's a book of these two kids that go visit their uncle and he takes them on these uh, science adventures. And it's it's really fun. It's just a read aloud book and then they can do some activities. And, but mostly we just talk about it and they'll do some sort of narration. And it's really, again, stage of my life. Fun. I'm just, I'm looking yeah. for a little bit more relaxed, <laughs> laid back um, uh, approach to homeschooling at this point. And I just wanted to say something. Yeah. I know Bonnie, you said, uh, you can tell that I don't let the curriculum be my master. Mm -hmm. I haven't always been that way. And it's easy to fall into that. It is. And and I can fall into that trap very easily. Right. If I my, gathered it was a process. If my alignment to <laughs> what I'm doing and why I'm doing it isn't, um, like, or if my, my attention to what I'm doing is not aligned with the philosophy. For us, we did, like, our young science was also very sort of hands-on, um, natural sort of science. And I would use, my, I would get library books on different, whatever my kids were interested in. So maybe that's birds, maybe it's, uh, you know, the planets, maybe whatever, you know, whatever thing they were interested in. And I would usually get out some, you know, interesting books and we would just go with it until it had spun itself out and then, uh, and then go on to a new topic. And if we only did, you know, three or four months of science in any given year, that was okay. Cause usually mm -hmm. when we were in it, we we're full on in it studying that particular thing. Uh, as they got older, I started sort of 
setting up sort of more of a formal formal is the wrong word but um say for example i would i would plan it out a little more carefully is like okay i would like to sort of talk about uh earth sciences i'm gonna choose these these are the books i want to cover this year i'm going to use these articles from the world book encyclopedia and this is going to i would put my own program together based on the books that i thought were going to be interesting and cool you know and i would try and fit in some field trips that would be appropriate to you know, whatever area of science we were studying and whatnot. As my kids got into high school and they started sort of asking other kids they knew, you know, were were my older kids, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. I want to do a biology curriculum or whatever. And I'm totally fine with that. That's that's good. So we, most of my kids did apologia as their high school science, worked pretty independently on that. So we would still have our family science, whatever we were doing with the, with my younger kids and my older kids would generally be participating because you know, we were all sitting around the table. So so they're already there. Then they would also be doing their high school science on their own. So, but we found Apologia was, I think, quite good at uh, explaining things, first of all, and making science really interesting, but also just the idea that he was saying, we address this more when I talk about chemistry and, or this is how chemistry plays into biology or whatever he would, you know, it became really obvious that, that, there's a big crossover in the sciences. When I was, when my kids were in junior high, I used a program called, a program called the VARE. Have you ever heard of them? And I think it's the same guy who actually started out writing Apologia, Navare Science. Oh, we did do one of those. Yeah, we did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I liked it because um, I found that it was very yeah. substantial, right? Like it wasn't, there wasn't, um, as the kids get older, I, I do want mm-hmm. more substance and not mm-hmm. a lot of fluff. And and so I found uh, the Navari was yeah. like that as well. So that's another another science program up into high school. So do you do a second language? Um, I personally don't know, <laughs> but my kids do. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. yeah so yeah. my kids have been introduced to um, Latin. Okay. I am not really um, disciplined or rigorous or strict in second language. So we do um, song school Latin. We just do very easy Latin. And then um, what has worked for us. So both my boys had gone to the seminary. One's at the seminary now, one's home. And they do quite intensive Latin at the seminary, which was very pleasing to me because they, you know, my oldest has come up with really good Latin. And my my second one there, he's doing very well in Latin too. So just uh, what I, my intention with Latin was just to get them to recognize the, how Latin worked and, um, and we do, you know, we do do a little bit of French, nothing really substantial again. We'll talk a little bit about right. it. We'll, they'll play on, um, oh, just a minute. I lost that. It's an app. <laughs> I lost the name of it now. Um, it's just, uh, oh, it's just went out of my brain. But anyways, it's an app. Like Duolingo There, that's or the one, Duolingo. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so they'll play a little bit on that. And uh, my husband's quite well, you know, he's, he knows French. I took French up until like French 30. I graduated with French and I know nothing. Is your husband French Canadian? No, no, no. I'm French Canadian, but not, there's no culture there. (laughs) I didn't get anything from my family. I shouldn't say that his mom is French Canadian and, but they didn't speak French or anything in the home. It's what we learned in school. And so my husband has a natural uh, talent for language. I don't. And so I came out of French 30 with not knowing anything. And (laughs) Right. barely survived when I went to Paris. And so, 
but but did okay. So that's our second language. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, we had uh, sort of taken a casual approach with second languages because I didn't want to push the issue. They've all had a little bit of Latin. Some have had a great deal of Latin. Some was just more of an introduction to to Latin and what it is. Uh, some of my kids went on to do sort of years worth of Latin, which is which is cool. But they were at sort of in the middle years. I suggested second language that it would be good for them or whatever, but didn't push it because I know my husband and I are the same, except I have a more of a propensity for language and he does not. I didn't want to push. I just felt like language, second language is a really great place to learn English grammar because instead of picking apart English, which most kids hate, they, they are understanding how English is constructed differently than another language. And so it gave a very natural forum for, for, talking about grammar and learning grammar and the way English grammar works via another language. So they've all done some language, but some kids went quite far with it. And again, it was one of the few things as like, not in the last, not when I first started out, because we didn't really have that capability back in the (laughs) nineties, but in, um, you know, in recent years, you know, they would either do Duolingo or some other online program. Uh, My daughter takes, uh, she's in her third year of Latin, uh, and it comes, you know, she's, she's really good at it. And it, she's been taking yeah. homeschool connections and their Latin classes. The quality of the teachers has been excellent as, you know, is pretty standard with all of their classes that they mm-hmm. do, but it's the, the nice to have online classes or like a, a live thing with Latin if you're carrying it further. And I suspect that's the same with most languages that, that the interaction is, is really important. Oh, I've good. been learning Duolingo Italian for probably, I don't know, six years. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, I just can't get that far with it. You know, I could carry on a conversation, but I don't have interaction, you know. So I think that that's really important for for language learning. So I wanted to chat a little bit about fine arts. Was there any other topic areas that you felt were important to discuss? Yeah, so I think it's really important to discuss um, phys ed, P.E., and within fine arts, <laughs> within fine arts, the actual art skill of art, right? And, um, and and what that entails. And then if we have some time, I'd love to just touch on philosophy and theology as well. Yes, we don't have tons of, I would say we could stretch it out to for another 15 minutes or so. So what does that sound like? Yeah, sure. Let's dive yeah. into fine arts. Sure. So yeah, okay. So again, um, a very organic approach. I don't have like a, a particular system. I just try and expose my kids a lot. So when my kids were young, we used to take them to the symphony. We used to take them to plays. Um, we, I love music. So we, we listen to a lot of music in our home and I always try to get them into an instrument. And so I didn't, I learned flute when I was in um, junior high. And then my grandmother taught me guitar, just a few chords um, when nice. I was a young adult and because I just wanted to play around the campfire. And, <laughs> and that's all I am is a campfire singer. But I'm really pleased because the, uh, let me just tell you the story. So when Noah was young, my oldest, we had him in and Dominic, my other son, in Suzuki piano. And it was like, eh, they didn't care. Either way, eh, right? And so they were, right. they did that for a year yeah. and then we moved and it's always a hassle trying to find a new teacher. We found a new teacher again, eh, just kind of went with it. And then, so that was kind of on, off, on, off. And mostly it was piano. We get to Houston and my one son says, oh, mom, I want to learn the bagpipes. We had just moved from Scotland. And <laughs> he's like, I want to learn the 
back five. So that was put on hold for a couple of years. So we moved right. back to Canada. <laughs> but my older son, he ended up with a really great teacher when he was in grade um, nine, I guess it was, and really inspired him. And it's taken off for him now. And he's um, he's only really formally taken, I think we calculated it at 30 formal lessons, maybe 40 formal lessons. And he's in grade six music, his grade right. six piano. So this is just like, oh, the reason why wow. I tell this story is because we have to keep introducing them to different things and, and to not kill their wonder about it. And, and when the inspiration is there, we have mm-hmm. to be able to say, okay, I'll get you a teacher. Okay. Right. And, and really be uh, well aware of your child to know when exactly. they're, when they're ready, when that window opens for them to be able to say, yeah, when they're yeah. burned out, you got to back off. And when they're burned you out, you want them too. to hate it. You want yeah. them to love it. Yeah. And so, <laughs> and then as well, because we've moved so much and traveled yeah. so much, we've had great opportunity to see beautiful pieces of art that will always be in our, you know, our treasure chest of of value. <laughs> Things that we value is the opportunity to expose our children to great, um, to great artwork. Basically, that's how we approach fine arts and art. Yeah. We're very similar in the way that we do it. My kids, I wanted them all to have some music. We are fortunate that very close to us, we have a voice teacher and voice is a great place to start because there's no, they're just listening to a tape and they're, they're following along on the tape after their lesson. So they're not having to learn fingering, right? And, and uh, position and all of that. So, but eventually that's what they did, but they would always start with voice. Uh, most of them had, oh, all of them, I guess, had a, a year or two at least minimum of piano before they went into other things. And again, you know, try to be sensitive to their inspiration. So we have one daughter who plays Hammer Dulcimer. We have another one who plays harp. My boys that got kind of burned out of music at some point as sort of, you know, young teenagers, you know, like, uh, they're actually the ones who really ended up teaching themselves really well because they just, you know, I, I think I just was able to be sensitive to when backing off was a good idea. They ended up you know, playing around with it themselves, their instrument, guitar, or piano or whatever, and then really kind of taught themselves after that, but they had a basis. So it was nice for them to, to work with that. But because I'm not musical, it was important that they had some musical training just to bring it into their own families. Right. You know, but again, we try to, we try to just expose them to lots of beautiful art, whether it's in books or at museums or, or when, you know, when we've been traveling or whatever, talking about art, we did a lot of art study actually as our, like, uh, uh, historical art study primarily as my kids were growing up, just because I, I felt it was so important to just know and understand and get into it. Right. And, you know, I don't know much about art, but over the years I've gained some, some knowledge and whatnot, you know, and just an appreciation would that matter to me that there was just an appreciation there of the beauty that the human mind can produce. Right. It's fascinating to me. And it's very interesting. Like I find that when my children have finally crossed the threshold of understanding, you know, the staff and notes and how they work, like the solfege, like um, do re mi fa so la ti do, right? Like when they kind of pass that threshold, then a whole world opens up to them. But it's almost like they need to learn those basics, yeah. right? And because then if they wanted to move out of, you know, say you were doing piano, if they wanted to move out of piano and do harp, or like my son who did do bagpipes, yeah. right? It wasn't so difficult of a transition because he didn't have to read music again. He didn't like, 
bagpipe music, music is different, but it wasn't such a stretch for him. And so, and that's the same. Yeah. yeah and it's the same it, with art, right? Whether it's um, drawing or painting or sculpture, handicraft, any of these things, there's, um, there's a necessity to learn some basic skills. And the basic skill I believe in art yeah. is drawing. You have to be able to see and reproduce mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. Yeah, listen, listen to the podcast oh, yeah. with David Clayton. Mm -hmm. He taught, he says the same thing. Um, that's from a couple of weeks ago. And it's, yeah, it's really good. And he has some recommendations that are that are really valuable. One of the things I brought up in that episode was there's a really good um, art appreciation program, but you also do art projects every with every chapter. Catholic Heritage mm -hmm. Curricula puts out called beautiful. Ever Ancient, Ever New. Really beautiful. And then it's got part two. So it's, it's sort of ancient art and it takes you through the history of art. So ancient art up to, I can't remember where she stops around Reformation or Renaissance or something. And then she continues on with part two. It's a lovely program and lovely art appreciation within it. You know, that, that, uh, you know, not only the types of painting, but the, what they're representing and the, the ideas that the paintings are representing. So lovely. So what, what, was there anything else we want to cover? Um, with art, I don't think so. I think that we wanted yeah. to touch a little bit okay. on the Z. Yeah, and it's okay mm -hmm. to just touch on yeah. things. Too. <laughs> yeah, do not yeah. forget the Z. <laughs> That's all I can say. Yes, <laughs> right. So in the classical right. tradition, um, you know, we want to start off obviously rooted in piety and work towards musical education, which is not to do like learn a piano, learn how to do piano. Musical education has a lot to do with um, myth and morals and uh, like learning the morals of stories, fables, poems, drama, that kind of thing. And physical education, mastering those physical virtues. So however you do that, do not forget it as a homeschool mom. What I found is that, you know, kids are generally naturally inclined to to get some physical exercise and to desire it. One of the things that we did when we moved into this house 20 years ago, we, we one of the first things we did was pave the driveway so that we could set up a basketball port, court that the kids could use their ripsticks and rollerblades and do road hockey and all that. That was really important. But was I liked exposing them to different things as well, sort of interest-based, but also like different horse riding camps would come up. And so they would take a week camp for horseback riding, or we would do some ballroom dance lessons or whatever, right? I mean, kids generally get a lot of physical activity and we have to recognize that that is a phys ed program, right? Then they can also join sports and we had homeschool sports and all kinds of things. What's important is for us to notice if one of our kids is not doing that, that we need to encourage it, first of all, but also, you know, and whether that's just going out for a nature walk, you know, if that's all that that person wants to do, that's still physical activity. And it's, it's, you know, lovely. But we just need to be aware of kids that maybe are less inclined to do those things, and that we're still exposing them. But also, uh, to recognize that we should just jot down all the things they do, you know, whether that's playing tag in the backyard, that's part of their physical education. It helps with their dexterity. Don't want to overlook the things they are actually doing, right? Sometimes it's easier to overlook a physical education program at all, but we also can overlook what's already happening, you know, take them swimming, take them skating, whatever. Okay. So yeah, so Fazed, we do not want to forget Fazed and whatever that looks like, whether it's horseback riding or whether it's actual um, physical education like um, basketball and volleyball and floor hockey and all that nice. kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. We always do a variety of things, mostly based upon what the kids are interested yeah. in. Um, looking back though, yeah. I 
wish that I would have had a more formal uh, phys ed uh, focus <laughs> in because it's mm-hmm. something that I overlook often. So, um, so I just in my own life and in my kids' life, I wish I would have um, been a little bit more diligent in yeah. planning for that. Mm-hmm. For one of my daughters, uh, she's quite lanky and and doesn't have a lot of uh, refinement in her movement. And so um, I'm organizing a homeschool ballet that's starting in January, um, just because I know that ballet is going to give her the, that physical discipline that she needs in order to master her body. And that's, you know, and, and that's part of what we want is the mastery to take place and for her to know that she can do that, that it's not oh, this is my lot in life. These are the cards I've been dealt, right? She may never be a ballerina, like a, you know, a prima ballerina, but at least she'll have mastery over her body. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I think that sort of covers most of the subject areas that we would be looking at as our part of our uh, regular homeschool curriculum. If I get some interest, if people, if our listeners want to dive deeper into a particular subject area, maybe that's something we could address in the future. And also, please don't forget to let us know when, uh, when your YouTube channel is up and running. And because uh, I think that will be of great interest. Yeah, we should, we should go down that path. Thank you so much for joining me again. That was lovely. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, Bonnie. And it's always, yeah. So I really appreciate all that you're doing with, with your work and with your ministry, with homeschoolers and in education. It's very important for all of us. So and thank you. you. Thank you. That's talk awesome. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Okay. Talk soon. Bye.